Welcome to Six Degrees of Roger Nielsen, featuring Vinnie Maltz and presented by Bloodline Hockey. Each episode, we'll dive into discovering meaningful stories and connections that have helped hockey coaches and players shape their professional philosophies and personal character through the art of sport. Our show is designed to honor one of the greatest pioneers of coaching innovation and connection, Coach Roger Nielsen. Um, you know, like obviously, I know you played in Philly and all that stuff, and uh, with Roger there, yeah, I, you know, obviously with the with the show and all that stuff. What was your relationship like? What's what's your Roger Nielsen story? We always love to be able to look at those, and uh, we'd love to hear yours. Yeah, well, I mean, Roger was really he was the guy that delivered the message to me that I had I had realized my my childhood dream of playing in the NHL. So my uh, my That's second awesome. year in Philly, uh, I was really competing with with one or two other uh, defensemen for for one spot that was available on the Flyers, and uh, um, you know there was a there was a hurricane that fall, and uh, a game was rescheduled and, and put right in the middle of uh, a block of two games and three games. So it ended up being six straight games in, in six straight nights, and uh, I happened to play them all. So it was six games and six nights, and. Uh, Remember after the after the sixth game, just just exhausted. I, I forget where we were playing, but we're we were on the the plane ride home, and I was called up to the front of the plane and then uh, sat in the seat next to Roger Nielsen, and he's the one that, that delivered the message to me that uh, you know, Mark, you had a you had a good camp. We we've decided to to keep you here for the start of the year, and you know that was kind of a I was already exhausted, but then it was just like a, a such a mental weight off my sh- my shoulders and a mix of emotions between exhaustion and excitement. The the fact that uh, you know I I was I made it. You know I, I was I at least made the team out of training camp, and, and Roger was the one that, that delivered that message. So uh, uh, that's that's something I'll never forget. Yo yo guys, and welcome to Six Degrees of Roger Nielsen. I am your host, Coach Vinny Maltz. Excited about today. That was a, a little clip there from Marky and talking about his relationship with Roger and a uh, pretty amazing story. Apologize there in the beginning. There was a little bit of that static in the beginning. Figuring it out along the way here with some of the stuff of uh, sound-wise and all that stuff. So one thing that's good about today is we've improved it a little bit. So it'll be fun to uh, be able to share it today and get after it. Uh, with Mark, guys, it was uh, pretty cool to be able to have so many years ago. We played together when we were squirts to kind of come full circle after all these years of having playing careers and all that stuff and to come back around and be able to do this interview was a pretty special moment. It's uh, it's always pretty cool to go through all these years and it's all about the relationships. We all know that. Anyone who's been around the game long enough knows that's the reality. So uh, it was a little bit you know special to have this interview today and to be able to jump into a lot of different things. Uh, Mark, guys, played 13 seasons in the NHL. He played with the Philadelphia Flyers, played with the Nashville Predators, New York Islanders, the Pittsburgh Penguins, where he won a Stanley Cup, which was unreal. Uh, he was the only player to ever come from Delaware, and uh, he's currently working now as a director of player development for the Chicago Blackhawks. So we got into a lot of great stuff, had a great discussion about coaching at the youth level and where he feels the focus should be at this level, how he made a career for himself in the NHL. We discussed leadership in the game and how you incorporate it, why failure and adaptability are so important to a player's success. And we even dove into his thoughts on Sidney Crosby's leadership style and what made him so unique to be around day to day. And uh, we discussed the most important skill he feels players must possess today to succeed. Lots of great stories and wisdom over this next hour and looking forward to uh, taking you along with us on this recent coaching adventure. So I'd like to take a minute and thank a few of our sponsors. 
and the Roger Nielsen's Coaches Clinic is entering their 32nd year and is the world's preeminent coaches clinic. This year it's being held at the University of Windsor, June 5th through the 7th. Tickets for this year's event are on sale now at www.rncc.ca. Join us and see why so many pro coaches insist on the Roger Nielsen's Coaches Clinic. And a thank you to another one of our sponsors, Bloodline Hockey. Bloodline Hockey has been at the forefront of developing and pioneering a mental performance mindset shift for players, coaches, and parents worldwide. If you are a coach, player, or parent looking for some mental performance programming specific to the hockey culture, please visit www.bloodlinehockey.com to learn more about how Bloodline Hockey can assist your mental performance needs. All right, guys. So excited to have Marky in the line with us today. So, Mark, a couple things, buddy. So being the only player from Delaware to play in the NHL, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Winning a Stanley Cup, that's pretty cool. But when I witnessed your 10-foot box jump on that speaker at Mitch's wedding, that was some special stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's on video too, isn't it? So, uh, it's so I'm surprised it's that hasn't gone viral. Come on. I know, man. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That was amazing. <laughs> uh, no, that was fun. That, that's the extent of my dance moves. So that's uh, yes, and that it's been a long time. I don't know how how long ago that was. How long uh, Mitch has been married? But that that ten foot box jump is probably down to about five now. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's so crazy, oh, man. Like I, we were talking about this a little bit ago, but it's so wild. Like getting back in the gym and you know trying to train like the players again. It's like man, you feel it. Like it's like wow, I can't push the way I used to. And it's like it's not because mentally I don't want to. It's because physically my body's like nope. You're not going to push like that anymore. And it's like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. It's uh, because your mind doesn't your mind doesn't age, really. Right. And your mind yeah. still thinks you can do what you did when you were 20. So it's. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, it's uh, it's bittersweet even because I'll go I'll go long stretches between men's league hockey games. And, and when I go oh, out yeah. there and, you know, I take two or three hard strides and, and can't create separation anymore from anybody. And, and the legs are burning. It, it It's depressing, but in the same sense, it, <laughs> it takes you back and, and makes you appreciate the, the great shape you used to be in. So it's yeah. uh, the, the good and the bad, but uh, back, yeah, back in my uh, day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's so, yeah. it's so great. Actually, one of the things as I was like prepping and stuff like that, I was looking back and I go, Dude, do you realize we go back 30 years? And I was like, that's, that's crazy, unbelievable. Like, I'm like, holy cow, squirts. And I'm like, oh, my God. I, I do the math <laughs> real quick. And I'm like, 30 years. I'm like, holy. <laughs> I know. I it's know. Insane. I'm getting the, the age now. It's. I mean, you you think back, those are some of the most fun times of your life. But it all, as you get older, it kind of runs together. You're trying to remember, all right, where was I as a peewee? How about a squirt? Okay, did I play with him when I was a when I was a midget or when I was a, you know, it, it all I starts know. to run together, your, your youth hockey, but it, you know, such great memories, such, uh, uh, such great people you, you play with and meet along the way. I know that's, what's amazing. Well, it, it's perfect actually segue to get into that of like, you know, talk about, you know, one of the things I love to do in the beginning is always, cause when it comes to coaching, right, everything comes down to the influence that we grew up with. And I'd love to hear mm -hmm. your story of like coming up, you know, we had we had Coach DiCarlo, he's the man back in the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Running yeah. around, all that stuff. But um, you know, talk about the influences, like as you grow up, what what created that love for the game? Because it's 
it's fascinating, right, to be the only player to come, you know, ever come from Delaware and to have that love to be instilled in your right? Like, talk about your experience in your youth of coaches, parents. Like, you know, give us a little bit of, like, that history of how you grew up loving the game and how, how it ignited you to obviously be able to have a, a great NHL career. Yeah, well, I think I think every story like mine you know, starts with with great parents. I mean, so I'd be remiss if I didn't mention them first. And um, yeah. you know, my mom was a my mom was a figure skater. My dad never played hockey, but he he loved the game. He loved to watch it. Um, so that kind that combination is kind of what got me into hockey and, and got me skating at a young age. I think I was uh, three or four years old when I started skating, and then. Um, mm five or six when I, when I started playing hockey, but um, you're right. I mean, the, the, the early coaches that you have are, they're key. It really, and looking back and, and you know, how far you can go with the game, how, how much your love and passion grows for the game. Because if uh, you know, if you have sub subpar coaches, when you're, when you're first getting started, that don't make it fun and, um, you know, make it so that you don't want to go to the rink, then that, that passion is not going to grow. And I, I was lucky, um, you know, yeah. my first, first year, I, my first year was with the, the Newcastle County Hawks in Delaware playing out of the university of Delaware. Uh, oh, my, yeah. my first coach was, was Keith Collins there. And he was uh, a great personality. Um, you know, just, just made it fun to come to the rink. And then, uh, as you progress, as you play more, I, I uh, moved over to the skating club of Wilmington, playing for the Wilmington Wheels, and and uh, by good fortune, uh, the coach there at that time was uh, Dave Cardillo, and you know he he refed a lot in the Delaware area, and and I haven't seen him lately, but just watching him at that age, he was I don't know forty or fifty when he was coaching us, and and I mean he could still skate around the ice like a water bug. I mean he was so quick, just perfect skating mechanics and and you know he kind of instilled the, uh, the the good skating and and that's really where i i was fortunate to, to be able to have that uh the good foundation of of the, yeah. the proper technique proper technique of skating and um you know that that's that's the foundation that's the base for everything you know because if, if yeah. you can't skate it especially you see it nowadays if you can't skate it's uh it's hard to compete it's hard to play so it's uh I was lucky to to have good good skating coaches in the Delaware area, um, and yeah. just and parents willing to drive all over the place as as I got better and and uh, you know looked for better competition. Then you know moved to Philadelphia area where you know where we met each other, little flyers, and uh, you know you, you mentioned DeCarlo, and um, yeah, it's almost too many coaches to mention, but. Um, yeah, just, yeah. Uh, yeah. As you progress and then, uh, you know, my junior, senior year of, uh, high school ended up playing in Long Island for the Apple Corps Junior B under coach yeah. Henry, Henry Lazar, who, uh, yeah, yeah. um, he was less about the, the mechanics of the game and, and, and whatnot. And more, you know, that's where you started to learn to, to play the team game and, and structure and systems and, and how to play with, within a, within a system. Yeah. I think everything up until then was, um, you know, it's more about developing as the individual. It's looking back. Like I said, it's hard to look back at, at your youth, but, um, yeah, you know, exactly. I never remember, I never remember coaches, you know, talking about set breakouts or set four checks. And, um, you know, I don't know if that's something we'll get into later, but oh, yeah. know, that's, 
that's one of the beefs that I have nowadays is I think it's uh, almost too much coaching at, at the youth level. And I think I was lucky that, um, you know, I just had coaches that let us play, let us have fun and kind of figure things out on our own. Yeah. Yeah. Let, well, let's talk about that a little bit more and we can come back to some more of the history and all that, but it's, um, you know, that's such a big part, right? It's the age old argument, right. Of how today that's such a struggle for coaches to understand that it's not about the systems. It's about teaching habits. You know, it's about teaching mm-hmm. concepts. And that's such a, that's such a struggle for coaches to wrap around because it's like, they almost feel like it can't be that simple. Right. And what, what a lot of people don't realize is it's actually not, it, it sounds simple in nature, but it's complex in execution because buying into something that sounds so simple for the game, especially at the next levels, the higher levels, that's everything the game is knowing your role responsibilities. It's about mm-hmm. being professional, like anything else. And that's, what's come down to now, even if you want to play now USHL and start to make that next step, that's the biggest part that I've found with our youth players. You know, we've been fortunate. We have the guys that are committed early division one, all that fun stuff. And then they've got to go, go from youth where they've been playing on a top team and doing whatever they wanted to now I'm in the USHL or, or a higher level junior league. And it's like, but wait a second, it's a totally different game here. Like it's about, like you said earlier with the team structure and all that, Mm -hmm. but fundamentally it has nothing to do with the systems. It has to do with, it's the habits of understanding. You can't just free for all anymore. You have to understand the different parts of the game of how to play as a team and all that. So I'd love to hear your take, you know, dive into that a little bit more of like, cause for coaches, right. It's to understand the importance of that, right. Of being able to look at it and go, yeah, listen, this is the deal. This is what I need to focus in on when the kids are younger, not systems. So yeah, dive into mm-hmm. that, buddy, and would love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, well, that's a lot. I mean, that that could be an hour podcast in and of itself. But, I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so true. Yeah, I mean, you you said a lot, and I think there's a couple couple things you have to uh, uh, talk about when when discussing these things, and and. First, I think it's, you know, I, I hate to use the, the millennial term of the why, but, and I want to be clear that I'm not, I'm not against systems and structure. I, I think that's important, but I think sure. especially at a young age, when you're, as a coach, when you're implementing systems with your team, you have to do more than just tell them where they're supposed to go. You got to give them, you got to give them the why, right? The, the Simon Sinek, yeah. what's, what's the why? Why? Why oh, yeah. does F1, why does F1 need to, to pressure the puck hard? Why does F2 need to, um, you know, meet the guy on the other side of that? Why does F3 have to read and do this? I mean, cause if you're just telling them, okay, F1 on the puck, F2 to the far post, F3 strong side, then they're not learning anything. They're, they learn, right. they learn to become good robots, but and that, that, that's the biggest thing that I find, uh, in, in my job now with, with player development is, the the whole the the lack of hockey sense you know where guys can can think the game and and adjust and adapt through the course of a of a game and and to be honest that's not something that really can be developed and taught you know at at a later age that that's those are things that need to be instilled uh when you're young by by creating drills, creating situations that players have to solve problems and, and think for themselves and, and uh, you know, make make adjustments. And, you know, that kind of segues into, um, like you said, jumping from one level to the next, whether it's, um, 
Bantam or Midget to the USHL, USHL to college, college to pro. It's it's like like you said that the further you go and the further up you go in, in levels, the the more it becomes you're a small fish in a big pond, right? Like correct. Most yeah. guys, most guys in college were the best players on their team at the USHL. Most players at the USHL were the best players on their team at Phantom or Midget. And it's it's like that way when you when you get to the AHL, most of those guys were the best players on their college teams and then NHL were the best players on the AHL team. So it's there's and then when you when you get to the highest level, there's only there's only one power play quarterback. There's only one or two offensive defensemen that that are relied upon to put up points so you it's all about like you said finding your role being able to adapt and and it's the players that that are able to adapt and and find out how they can contribute best and and find their niche on the team are the ones that ultimately uh do play at the highest level and and become successful and i you know i I don't want to throw me in as an example, but that was, that's where I was lucky. I was able to, I was able to figure out, you know, when I, when I played at Notre Dame, I was, I was an offensive defenseman, uh, scored goals, ran the power play. And even when I made that, the transition to the pros, the the minor league level kind of played the same role, but for whatever reason, when I got to the NHL, I, I was never able to, um, succeed in, in that role you know I, I was never right. able to put up the points for for whatever reason so I, I found a way to 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 stick I mean I, I just became yeah. a uh, you know a, a solid defender block shots and and you know was able to make a, a career out of that so it's uh, it's it's that ability to to find your niche adapt and 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 constantly be growing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there's definitely some of the stuff I want to come back to there. But, you know, leading into that, what was that when you adapted, right? Because that's something that's so important for players to understand that it's hard for younger players to understand because when you're dominating like the way you are, right? And coaches, sometimes the reality is, and that's what I wanted to get back to was the why piece of coaches sometimes Mm -hmm. just don't have the education of, you know, explaining things a certain way to these type of players. So, understanding what I love so much about what we're trying to expose and do, you know, with this show is that talking about the experiences that we went through to shed light on, well, this is how it went for me. And maybe that can shed some light for you. Do you remember anything of like when you, Mm -hmm. when you went through that process of adapting, do you still remember, like recall anything of like what happened in that moment? Cause like you you know, there's players you talk about where they realized I I had that aha moment and just realized, okay, this Mm -hmm. is the way I need to be. Do you recall any of that of like, you know, as you came out of Notre Dame and was there something specific along the way where it just hit you and it was like, okay, I have to do this. And then your practice habits changed anything along that line where when you adapted that you remember from that process? Well, the thing that sticks out the most for me and and the story I tell a lot to to the young defensemen that I work with now was, uh, you know, my first, my first three years of pro were, you know, it was, it was a difficult adjustment. I, I spent the whole first year in the minors, um, second year made the flyers out of camp, but then was sent down seven games into it and, and just was never really able to to find my 
quote unquote NHL groove. Yeah. Uh, was was traded was traded the beginning of my third year uh, to Nashville. Went to Milwaukee, um, played played a month or two, and then was called up to Nashville. And I remember, um, and that was still that was still I hadn't I, I hadn't made that adjustment yet. I, I still considered myself an offensive defenseman. I, I still thought it was my job to help create offense and and do this or that. And and when I wasn't doing that, it it was frustrating and it and it affected my play. But then when I got called up to Nashville. I think it was my first game and, um, you know, didn't do anything offensively and, and thought I played an average game. Uh, but as I'm getting onto the bus, uh, our, our coach, Barry Trotz, stopped me. He's like, uh, Eats, you know, uh, I didn't notice you out there today. That's a good thing. Keep it up. And that, you know, that was kind of a light bulb moment. Like, <laughs> all right, so that – and, you know, that's really – you don't get a lot of feedback at the NHL level unless it's negative. <laughs> so it's usually a, a no, uh, it's usually a no news is good news kind of scenario. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, for him to, for him to pull me aside and give me that, um, that compliment uh, kind of helped me realize that, okay, so that, you know, that's what the coach was looking for. I felt that I didn't do much, I but I didn't, I didn't make any defensive mistakes. I played responsibly and, and that kind of, kind of started the the ball rolling of of my realization that that it's all about being responsible and uh being being someone that a coach can trust putting out on the ice and that that's and it doesn't matter what you're contributing to the offensive side of the puck and i'm speaking as a defenseman now obviously it's different for uh for forwards but uh but me being a defenseman that was that was my experience kind of my kind of my light bulb moment yeah, that's awesome. I love that one. I love that one. I think what's so powerful that, about that that responsibility part that you said, right, is that how, as a coach, when you're dealing with players coming up, to instill that part of things, right? Because there's that fine line of it's all about, the, you know, now there's the argument of creativity, don't, don't stifle it, all that stuff. But there's also, though, that other side to it of responsibility of you are a part of a team. Like you can't just go rogue and that's life in general, right? Like I think that's the part where Mm -hmm. we tend to forget when it comes to the game is that we're, we're part of a process of growth and development. But at the end of the day, any, any big leader and and anyone, you, you hear them all say the same stuff is that at the end of the day, it's about community. It's about family. It's about the team. Mm -hmm. It's about serving others. And I think that's the biggest part that in today's grouping of players is that it's that that's the challenge is to help them understand and keep that top of mind where, yes, I want you to be an individual. Absolutely. I want you to do your thing. I want you to grow for you. But you also have to understand mm-hmm. that as we move forward, you have to understand you are a part of a community, of a team. Like it's a family. Like you have to understand that part of it and talk about that responsibility piece, right? Of from a, how does that kind of apply? Like when you think of it from a development end of, how important that is to keep that message top of mind, work that into your development process. What have you kind of found, you know, are some of the things that coaches can look at and, and really try to buy into and believe in uh, the importance of that? Yeah. I mean, well, I'll, I'll take a step back. And I think I, the, one of the most important things a coach can do and, 
and this again, this is all through experience. I I don't coach like my my role in player development. I I see it more as a mentorship. I, sure, uh, I'm not your uh, you know stereotypical coach in that I, I don't have that kind of experience. But yeah. looking back on the 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 best teams that I've played on, um, it was the best coaches were the ones that created uh, a culture. Uh, a, a particular culture and, and every team is different. Every coach is going to implement a, a different culture, but um, a culture of accountability and, uh, and it's no disrespect to the, to the coaches. It's actually a compliment that the best teams that I played on, you know, it was the, the culture was created and then it was up to the guys in the locker room to, to make sure that that culture stays in force. So it, it became, it, it, became a, a situation where you you wanted to play well and you wanted to play your best for for the guys in the locker room for the guys sitting next to you and it, it sounds cliche but it's so true and that, so yeah yeah you know versus versus you know coaches that um haven't necessarily implemented a culture and it's more they're coaching through you know trying to motivate through fear and then players are are playing not to make a mistake and they're they're playing to please the coach that i think that's the wrong message to send the team the wrong kind of culture to create I, but going back on what i was saying is the the best teams i played on we we legitimately wanted to play for each other it wasn't about pleasing the coach it wasn't trying to it wasn't about doing the right things for the coach and and trying to get more ice time this or that it was uh you know you didn't want to let the guy next to you down and and uh you know, I think that that's at the highest level. That's uh, pro level. You know, I think that can be implemented at the college level as well. And obviously, it's less about that uh, at the youth level when when you're just you're trying to create a fun environment and, and trying to uh, grow the the kids' love and passion for the game. I think it's less about culture and more about um, that's when you truly want to develop and and just keep building that that love of the game. But uh, for me, and I, I'm a big fan of um, Steve Kerr. I don't know if your if your yeah. listeners uh, know yeah. much about him, if he's been mentioned in the past, but just the uh, you know his story and the way the way he goes about creating his culture and implementing his core values. Uh, he he lives it, and, and his his team uh, lives it as well. And and just the the times where he he lets his players uh, draw up plays coming out of timeouts. I think just giving, giving players ownership is, is so key in, in today's age and today's game at, in any sport, but especially hockey to, to put the power back on the player and, and uh, let them take control of, of their own development and, and feel like they, they have a part in it and that it's not a, not a dictatorship, that it's not, always doing what the coach says just because it's like that, that why that we talked about and, yeah. and knowing that it's a, uh, it's a, it's a partnership, you know, it's not, you know, coach always coaching player, player always listening. It's a, it's a give and take. And I think those are some of the best coaches to where they, it's an open door policy and, and they, their players know that uh, they can come and talk Anytime, if there's confusion, if they're not happy, if, if they are, whatever it may be, I, I think those are the best coaches uh, today. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I could. That's one of the biggest things, the evolution, right, is that 
we went from the way it used to be where coaches said, here, this is the way it's going to be, to now it's all of us together, right? And that kind of brings it back mm-hmm. to a point, right, of when you talk about culture of, you know, using that community feel, using that team feel, it's such a huge part of it. And, um, you know, like w- when we talk about we legitimately wanted to play for each other, right? I, I think that's such a that's such an important factor where obviously the coach leads the ship on that one, right? Where mm-hmm. creating the values, creating the culture, and then behind it, we go with, okay, hey, you're, you're creating that. You're making us feel it. But what are those other parts, like from a player's perspective? When you're sitting in that locker room and you're with the leadership and you're with each other, what do you think are some of those factors that you look for that when we say playing for each other, what's the feel of that in the locker room? You know, when you're on the bench in the game, what are the things like per, from a personal standpoint as a performer, as a player that you want to look for inside of yourself? That's like, if you want to play for that guy next to you, what are those little things that, right, that, that comes from that experience of, Hey, here's, here's what you can look for. Yeah. Well, I think that's a lot. And I think every individual is different, but you know, me, me being up here in New England and uh, in Patriot country, I'll steal Bill Belichick's. Uh, saying of it's, it's doing your job, you know, and it's kind of what we talked about earlier with, uh, knowing your role on the team and, and, uh, what, what you bring to the team, uh, whatever that is, just make sure you're bringing it. I mean, because that, that's the great thing about, uh, team sports. And, and I obviously we're biased in the hockey world, but hockey's the, the ultimate team sport. And there's going to be days where, uh, you as an individual, you're not going to have it. You're not going to be at a hundred percent. You're just, you're not going to have it that day. And uh, that's when your, you know, your teammates are able to pick you up and, and, uh, and help you out by leading with their actions, but also through, uh, uh, you know, verbal pick me ups in the locker room, you know, let's go eat. let's get it going. Um, So it's, it's that evolution and the, the getting to, to know each other and, and knowing each other's roles, not only on good teams, not only do you know your role, but you know, you know, your teammates roles as well. And, and when they're bringing it, when they're not, and it's just, uh, there's, I mean, we've with uh development camp in Chicago, we've worked with uh, some former Navy SEALs and, and you talk about the ultimate team and they, they just talk about, you know, when they're, when they're debriefing a mission, there's, there's no ranks. It doesn't matter if you're a five-star general or, uh, uh, you know, first year on the team. It's like when you're talking about a failure or a success, it's, it's honesty. And it, you're not, you're not worried about hurting feelings. Nobody's taking offense to anything. It's, uh, um, especially at the pro level, we're, we're all men and, and you got to act like it. Sometimes you need the, the hard news like, Hey, you didn't do your job tonight. So be better the next night. And it's, uh, just being able to, to take, um, constructive criticism, whether it's from coaches or teammates. But, um, you know, I think those are their qualities within an individual that, that help, um, strengthen the, the, the overall team. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And I think that's such an important piece to this puzzle, right? Is that a lot of players understanding that the hurt feelings, Right. Is that them understanding that it's not anything personal on that side. Right. It's just the fact of either you're performing and doing the job or you're not. And but do you have the ability to be aware of that? Right. Like that's exactly that's one of the things that's really lacking is that self-awareness of nobody's coming after you. But you did sign up for playing in the best league in the world or being a professional. 
And I think that's mm -hmm. one of the things that isn't stressed enough as players are coming up is the fact of professional. Like when I got going with the bloodline stuff, that was one of our biggest messages is that, yeah, we're not all going to play in the NHL one day, but we're all going to be professionals one day, everybody. Mm -hmm. So no matter how you slice it, learning the qualities of a professional is really important. No matter what company, family, team, community you're a part of, it's the same thing. And I think that concept is something that, you know, talk about that part of, that you've witnessed and seen with players, you know, in the development part of how you've been able to work through that, maybe with the, with the players of understanding that portion of it, of that don't take it so personally, right? It's, it's understanding that either you're doing the job or you're not. And are you aware of it? What's that process been like for you? And what kind of challenges have you faced to, you know, get through that and get that through to players today? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, that's, uh, that's something that I, and it's not me passing the buck, but I think that's something that's instilled in childhood by, yeah. by the parents, by, by younger coaches and just uh, creating an environment to where failure is okay. Looking at failure as um, that's just a step in, in improving and getting better. I, I use the term, especially with my kids all the time, you know, you have to, get comfortable being uncomfortable, you know, yeah. that there's, there's no growth in the comfort zone and there's no comfort in the growth zone. I mean, you can throw, <laughs> throw out all those, uh, those sayings, but it's so true. Yeah. I mean, so true. That, yeah. that, and you have to, especially, you know, in, in, in the household for, for parents, you know, as young coaches, uh, embrace when the kids are making mistakes and realize that when they're making mistakes, it means that they're, they're pushing themselves outside their comfort zones. And, and that's, that's the only way to truly get better. And that's, that's what we, that's the, the message that we start out with at the start of every development camp in Chicago every summer is that, you know, we're, we don't bring all of you guys here for that week. Just this isn't about evaluating you. I, I see all of you guys enough through the course of the year. I, I know what you're about. This is a week, the only week of the year where we get all of you guys together and we're going to, throw a lot at you. Uh, we're going to throw new things at you. We're going to, you know, things that when you do turn pro uh, styles that we like to play and it, it's going to be stuff that you're not used to, but we don't, we don't want you to do it half speed so that you can actually, you know, get through it. We want you to, to do it a hundred percent and really push yourself and you're going to make mistakes. If it's some skating drills, you're going to fall. We We don't care, but it's it's important that you you don't look at it that way either. Like, okay, I fell. Oh no, now um, they're they're gonna think that I'm not good at that. And it's um, it's just trying to create an environment, uh, at least for us in development camp, to where these these guys are, are comfortable making mistakes and that they don't feel that uh, they're being crossed off a list just because they fell a couple times or they missed a couple passes or miss the net, trying one timers, you know, down on one knee, that, that kind of stuff. So I think it's, it is difficult because a lot of that, that um, the, the lack of thick skin or the, the thin skin um, is something that may have come from years of um, thinking that the failure is bad and that, you know, having a perfectionist mentality and, and, and that kind of stuff. And it, it's, it's hard for the guys at, at 18 or, or 20 years old that, that have that in them. It's hard to, to break them of that, but it's just, 
it's just through constant reinforce enforcement. Like I think it was Herb Brooks said, you know, whoever makes the most mistakes out there tonight is going to win the game. And it, and there's a lot of that rings true. And it's, um, you know, you're not you're not improving if you're not making mistakes and and, and failing. And it's just a matter of, um, you know, looking back on those failures, learning from them, and and making the a little tweak here and there and, and trying to get better at it the next time and the next time and the next time. So that's, uh, that's kind of the environment and the, and the message that we try and create and instill with, with our players. Yeah. I love that. I love that. It's such an important piece because I think that's, you know, a couple of things on that side, right. Of where, when you look at it from the perspective of, yeah, it is difficult to instill later on when the players don't have it. It's no different than, like you said earlier of it's really difficult to teach hockey sense later on because you're focusing on, you can teach the sense of the game in terms of, well, I can teach you a habit, but that habit, because unconsciously you've got it intact. We're only, we're going to be limited to how many habits we can actually teach you to make it unconscious. So it's automatic in the game and you can, you know, think about other things, right? That's what makes it so difficult is that when you're younger, if you're not put through all those decision-making things, well, that, later on, changing that is really hard. And I think that's the mm-hmm. same thing with failure, is that when we don't create that environment where coaches are afraid, where they're trying to create this perfectionist environment, where coaches don't catch themselves yelling at a player for making a mistake. Because we all know when, you're, when they're younger, it's hard instinctively not to say, we, we, I've worked on that in practice with you so many times. Make that play, blah, blah, blah. It's just such a normal reality for so many younger coaches or that are dealing with youth where they don't realize, and even coaches that are veterans that have been around forever, they'll make the argument of, well, the yelling's not a big deal in this line. It's like, well, constructive yelling is different than just yelling. Like you can yell hard work, work hard, work hard. Come on, make that pass till you're blue in the face. But where the issue Mm -hmm. comes in is that, like you said, the why. If you're not filling in the gaps with allowing the mistakes to happen and, and letting the spirit feel, hey, I can make a mistake and I'm safe here in the environment, Plus, if you're not adding in the educational piece of, well, here's why that's important. I think that's where that gap gets really messed up with this whole failure thing and making mistakes is because, number one, our coach is educated enough to explain why. Like that, I think that's where, you know, I found is lacking big time in, in the coaching mm-hmm. world is that the why we all know it, it's an important part. But as a coach, do I know why? Like, do I, can I explain that? Cause that's what we deal with a lot of our players is, we have them go in and dig and dig and because they're not getting a clear why from the coach. And it, you know, as a professional, I sit there and it's a struggle because I know, yeah, it's because your coach doesn't know. Like after going in yeah. so many times, your coach doesn't know how to explain it to you. So, you know, I'm always playing that thin line between, okay, well, just go in and keep asking, is this what he means? Is this what he means to lead them to get them to that point? Right. So yeah, when we talk, yeah. when we, when we talk about that failure, that's such an important part of from a coaching standpoint to be able to look at yourself and go, are you allowing that environment to happen and catching yourself? Because for players, yeah, it's hard for them to catch themselves. But like you said, the leadership, the culture, if you're not catching yourself as a coach, that's the responsibility that comes in that I think is so important to, to bring to the forefront and talk about that, you know, here right now on that side. Yeah. What, yeah, what are your thoughts with that? And I think, uh, yeah, I think that's a great point. And I, that brings up the whole, uh, yeah, vulnerability issue. Like as a coach, it, it's okay to be vulnerable. And it's, yeah. that's the the first thing that I need to do when, um, 
if we trade for a new player or when we draft a new player, I need to, I need to get to know them. It's, it's less about the hockey and more about getting to know them and then uh, earning their trust. You know, it's uh, I'm at the point now where these, these young kids, they, you know, they have no idea who they, who I was. They, they didn't watch me. They, they don't care. So it, it's up to me to, to earn their trust and, and prove to them that, that I know what I'm talking about and that I can help them realize their dreams and, and help them uh, just become uh, more prepared. Like you said, as a professional, whether they go on to play in the NHL or, or whether uh, they, they go into corporate America to, to give them tools that, that they can use to better themselves in any area of life. So yeah. uh, that, that's first and foremost. And, and a lot of times that, that comes through vulnerability. And I think that that can uh, be the case for any coach at any level is if, if uh, if you're unable to tell that player why, then then it's okay to tell them. It's okay to admit, you know what? That's that's a great point. I'm gonna and the the coaching world, the hockey world, is small enough to where you know any coach should know somebody that that can tell the why. So if, if like if a player asked you, Vinny, uh, you know why why do I need to go over there when the puck's over there, and, and you don't know, say. That's a great question. I'll, let me get back to you next practice, and then you can call me, and, and uh, I can see if, if I can come up with an answer. It, it's about networking in the coaching world to, to come up with these answers to, to give to these kids. And and that uh, in doing that and, and admitting you don't know something and then uh, coming back the next practice with the answer, that, that strengthens that trust between player and coach, and, uh, and it, it's only going to benefit it benefit that relationship in the long run. So, um, yeah, you, you said it, I think it's, uh, you know, kind of back to that old school way of thinking to where the, the coach thinks that he has to have all the answers. Well, that, I mean, that's, it's unrealistic. And especially at the youth level, when you have uh, fathers coaching that, that really never played at a high level and, and they, they really don't know that why, but uh, there, there's no reason that they can't find out that answer. And, and, get back to the player. It doesn't have to be immediate. You, you don't have to just answer a question to answer it, you know, make, make sure it's the right answer. So, um, but yeah, that's uh, just the, the whole vulnerability. It's a, a word that, that I hear a lot more and, and I think is a, an important thing in, in a player coach relationship. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. I couldn't agree more. And, and I think the irony of the whole thing of what I see a lot in the youth coaching realm, especially, you know, and I'm fortunate to be, you know, bouncing from one world to the next and to see what goes on. But I think what you just hit on about the networking, about those answers, like, you know, one of the things that I loved about, um, I'd listened to Trotz last year at the NHL coaches clinic and got to mm -hmm. spend one of those like intimate, you know, 10 people in the room and hear him talk about culture and all that. And one of the things he talked about was how he gets together with other NHL coaches in the off season yeah. and they go and they, they get together at the diner or whatever it is and they talk about ideas and, hey, what do you do here? What do you do there? And I think that's one of the things that we definitely don't see enough at at the youth level that shocks me. That's one of the things that to me, it's like, what do you guys think is going on that you everybody has their program and everybody, it's like this competition yeah, between, yeah. I've, I've got this secret sauce when the reality is the best of the best, <laughs> they actually don't operate that way. And it's like, you know, it's, it's right. It's the, because the two worlds are very, are different, but they're so similar, right? Where, yeah, different things yeah. like one is entertainment, one is education. And, but what, one of the things about the, the NHL world that a lot of people don't realize is the fact that how much collaboration actually goes on. It's like, Hey, let's talk to each other. Let's figure out. Cause 
that's not the crux of it. The crux of it is what's going to happen in season, how you're going to react to the relationships, what kind of culture you're going to create. But people think the information is like, oh my God, hide the information. Don't tell anybody because uh, I, I, I don't want you to know what I'm doing. And it's like, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Like, if you don't get yeah. the, the team to buy in, and if everyone isn't on the same page and cares about each other and loves each other and wants to play for each other, it doesn't matter what you come out with. So I'd love for you to stress mm -hmm. a little bit more about that part, your experiences with that, about that collaboration. And just so people understand, like, this is what the best in the world are doing, like bouncing off, talking to each other. It's not about this mind, mind, mind and all that stuff. Like, you know, what, what have your experiences been like, you know, on the other end? Talk about that more because I love that. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you're right. In, in a lot of ways at the at the youth level, it's uh, it's more competitive than the NHL level. I mean, these uh yeah. The, the, the coaches, they are, they're so secretive and they, they think that they have the, the newest and best way of doing things. But it, yeah, it's not, it's not like that from a, from a pure hockey standpoint at, at the professional level. Cause it's really, there's, uh, from a structural standpoint, a system standpoint, there's no secrets because every game is on tape and, and all you have to do is watch 20 minutes of tape and you know exactly what the team's doing anyway. So there's no need, there's no need to be secretive at the NHL level or the pro level. Um, and that's where the, the collaboration comes in is, um, you know, hockey is such a small world and, and, and coaches are always trying to better themselves. Players are trying to better themselves. And, you know, in the development world, we, you know, we're, we're, we don't keep many secrets. We'll, we're happy to talk about what, what we're doing. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's about the, the individual and, and, uh, just trying to make, make the game better and, and making individual players better. And that's, you know, again, back to, you know, I'm not, I'm not involved in, in the youth hockey much, but, um, from what I see and, and what, what really irks me is, is the the fact that uh, kind of what you said that things are so secretive and it, it, it's too much about winning at the at the youth level and it's at that right. level it's like who who cares I mean that that's what I I try to tell my daughters who play tennis it's like I don't care if you if you win the match I just care that you're doing the right things because it's not it's not about winning your tennis matches at 12 years old. It's about developing the skills to help you be successful when you're 16, when you're 18, or if, if you play in college. And, uh, you know, the, the way, the way you win at, at 12 isn't going to be successful or help you to win at the age of 16 or 18. I, I think that's the yeah. case for any youth sport. You know, if, yeah. if, uh, coaches want to play the trap at the peewee level and, and, or just have, defensemen go back and rim the puck around it, that may help you win at that level, but it's not, it's not developing the kid. The kid's not getting any better. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it's, uh, that's the one, the one thing I feel about, about the youth hockey is that it, it's, it's too competitive. It's too, too much about winning. And, yeah. um, you know, I heard, I don't know if I was listening to a podcast and it was, or talking to somebody, but they, they made the point. I thought it was pretty interesting about how, uh, like North America or the U S in particular, they, they create slower players and not necessarily slower skaters, but just, right. uh, slower, yeah. Processing speeds of players. And, and, and they talked about how, you know, there's so many of these tournaments, you go to these tournaments, you play five games in a weekend and, 
you know, by the fourth or fifth game on the Sunday, these, these kids are gassed and, and they're just playing, they're playing slow. They're playing tired and versus, you know, let's go to these tournaments, make it one game a day so they can go all out, get home, rest, be ready to do it again the next day. And, and so that they're learning to play at, you know, we use the term RPM. They're learning to play at 100 RPM instead of playing at 60 RPM, you know, and, and especially today's game being as fast as it is, it's important to not only play physically fast, but know how to play uh, mentally fast as well. So uh, a lot in there. And, and you know, the, the last tangent I'll go on is just, uh, I think, especially as much as I travel over to, to Sweden and Finland and I see how, they run their youth programs and, and um, it's run by the town. It's, and it's so, it's truly about making the kids better. And there's, it's not a, it's not run by individuals who are, who are trying to make money off of these kids, trying to get as many kids on the ice as possible because that's putting money in their pocket. And that, that's another problem I think we have in the U S is that there's too many individuals involved and, and it's, it's about, the profit and not about making the player better. So that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's well, it's, it's, it, yeah, no, it's a great point you bring up. Right. Cause that, that's one of the things with the tournaments, right. Is that I've watched evolve. Like I've seen guys that, you know, guys that I love that turn around and it's like in the beginning, you know, the tournament was one game a day and then now yeah. it's mul multiple games a day. And it's like, why? Because parents, you know, will complain that, Hey, we need more. Uh, we want to be able to see more and all that stuff. And, and this is unfortunately the reality of scouts, even at times. We'll, you know, we'll say, Hey, listen, you know, it's, it's hard to get over there just to watch a couple of games. I want to be able to see more. So it's like this never ending cycle of that unfortunately right. happens inside of, inside of the culture that from a pure development standpoint, we look at it, right? That's, that's the field we're in where we're like, there's such, there's just such a more efficient way to do it. But from the cultural standpoint, it's like, but wait a second, this is what parents want. This is what, you know, if, if we don't do that, and that's the battle between what a parent thinks versus what we know. And that's, yeah. You know, and that goes towards the, you know, it's like they're, they're probably of the old train of thought of the 10,000 hour rule, right? Like I, mm -hmm. I want my kid to, mm -hmm. I want him to get his 10,000 hours in by the age of 15. But, but that, exactly. you know, that rule has kind of been since disproven, right? Like it's oh, not yeah. about, yep. it's not about the yep. 10,000 hours. It's about the, the quality of the hours. So it's like exactly. three or 4,000 hours of deliberate practice is goes far more, much further than, you know, 10 to 12,000 hours of just reps, you know, it's, it's the right kind of reps. And if you're, if you're doing tired reps because it's the fifth game in, in three nights, uh, then what are you really getting out of it? I mean, there is something to be said for learning to play tired, but, you know, I think you're better off learning to play at an extremely fast level than you are playing tired. You can, you can learn to play tired when you're, you know, when you're 18, 20 years old after a bad game and your coach is bag skating. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> ah, those are the best. <laughs> But yeah, but yeah, yeah. now it's a huge point of like, you can learn to play tired later on, like making that adjustment. That's exactly it. Because the one thing that, you know, that I always see inside from a youth world, that's always frustrating is the fact that there's the two worlds of, Hey, I got to go to school and I also have to manage my high level, you know, intensity of whatever it is, AAA or whatever I'm playing, you know, as an athlete. 
where the two mm-hmm. worlds, you know, typically are separate, right? Unfortunately, it's, well, the school doesn't care about, well, we have our homework, we have our rigor and all that stuff, and we have our way of doing things, and we don't care about how they do things over there. And then the other way is like, well, we love, we love the game, we love hockey, and this is the way it's going to be. And it's the unfortunate reality of mm-hmm. this battle between the two worlds where it's like, if it's about developing young people, period, full stop, I think that's, that's the biggest struggle that we're all dealing with is that, well, this culture wants it this way, this culture wants it this way, and both cultures are trying to do it the right way, and they're trying to provide the best that they can, but because we're not holistic and we're not united together, that's where a lot of these problems are, are coming from, right? Because of the fact that we don't look at it mm-hmm. together. We just look at it as, well, you've got your thing, you've got our thing, and it's like this battle. Like I know locally it's the battle between high school hockey versus AAA hockey. It's like, ah, you don't need that, you don't need that. Right. And it's like, well, then they're both killing each other, and then what ends up happening? The players are killing themselves because, oh, well, i got to go here, and then i got to go there, and their schedules, and then they're not getting enough sleep, and they're not getting enough any of this, and it's crushing them. And like you said, if you can't operate at that 100 RPM consistently because that's what the game is, it wears on you. And that, that's one of the things we hammer away yeah. all the time. And, yeah, and again, I, I go back and I, I fault the adults mm-hmm. for that. I mean, because the, the, the kids will do uh, – the, the if you let the kids do what they want to do, then I think you'd be okay. But you have, you know, in, in hockey, any youth sport, there's so many politics. And like you said, there's the, there's the AAA team, there's the high school team, and, and the kid feels pressure from the coach of the AAA team, but he feels pressure from the high school team. And – um, you know, he's being pulled in, in so many different directions. And I, you know, again, I, I fault the parents. Can't They're adults. Can't they, not, sorry, not the parents, but the coaches, yeah. can't they just get together and say, okay, listen, uh, let's do what's right for Johnny. I mean, it, it's, this is too much. Uh, can't they get together and say, okay, he can do your practice Monday, Wednesday, do mine yeah. Tuesday, Thursday. Uh, there should be a civil way to, to figure things out. And, and that, again, I go back to Sweden and how they do that. They, I mean, it's, it's the town. They, they don't have all these different teams. It's, it's not AAA. It's not high school. It's the, the town hockey, the, and then as you move up, it's the, the, the junior levels of the, of the pro teams that are over there run by the, the pro organizations and the, and the, you know, the, the hockey practices are worked into, it's almost like gym class in school. So it's kind of, it's all, synergize so much more uh, efficiently than, than it is yeah. over here. But uh, yeah. And, and again, I, I, yeah, I stress it. It's uh, I'm a big proponent too, of, of having different sports for different seasons and, and uh, the push nowadays for this sports specialization and, and especially hockey. I mean, I, I'll go, I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but I, I, I go back to, I had, hip surgery when I was 32 and the the doctor that did my surgery was doing a test on, on young hockey players. And he, you know, when he went in and, and fixed my hip up, he, he said that he's now seeing hips that look like mine in, in 16 and 17 year olds. And, and it's just that especially skating is such a, it's such an unnatural motion for, for developing uh, kids to, to be doing that six days a week, uh, you know, for 352 weeks out of the year, it's just physically, it's not healthy for these kids. And I, you know, I, I don't, I hate being that person like, yeah, when I was young, but, and, and I'm sure you were the same way. It was, it was hockey in the, in the fall and the yeah. winter. 
maybe a couple spring tournaments, uh, maybe one or two tournaments in, in the summer, but it was, it was most of July, most of August off. Maybe you play baseball at that time and then some soccer in the fall. And, and it, we, as kids, you don't think of it physically, but just mentally when, when September came, it was like, Oh, I can't wait for September hockey starting okay. back up. Cause you, you, you had enough time to miss it versus nowadays when it's, when it's year round, are these kids ever given that opportunity to, to really see how much they love hockey and, and truly miss yeah. it, you know? So that, uh, again, no, I went no, off on absolutely, a tangent, but it's, but, it's uh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's the reality, right? Like, Cause I remember even when I think back too, like back in our days of like even playing squirt, we had two practices a week, we'd head down. Right. But then the rest of the week, what we were doing, I remember in the yep. street playing roller hockey, street hockey, you know, you weren't putting on your gear. Absolutely. Then you were playing basketball, football. You know, we were, we were doing uh knock, knock, zoom, zoom, running through the yards, doing, there was just all kinds of different activities that we would just go grab and go do. And, and every single mm -hmm. one was creating an overall athlete. We didn't know it at the time. We had no idea, but, but yeah. I mean, that's really yeah. what helped us of like to go from where we were in that Philadelphia area to be able to have like, you had obviously unreal career, be able to go through. But even for myself, when I look back, there's no way if I didn't play all those hours of outside when I was younger, there's no way I would have been able to have gotten, you know, drafted, play at the pro level, all that stuff. It was because of the environment of what was going on at that time that developed me day in and right. day out and yep. created a balance, yep. you know, to it. And, you know, that, that environmental piece is such an important part. And I wanted to kind of, you know, twist back to, you know, one of the things that you had was very unique. And you know, when we talk about the leadership coaches, right, how they coming together and all that stuff. The other side too is environmentally of players being around each other. One of the things that was really cool for you, right, is to have been able to play with Crosby, Malcolm, Latang, be a part of that whole crew. Talk about, you know, you, you guys obviously mm -hmm. won a cup and all that stuff, but talk about what that experience was like being around that type of leadership, you know, because like one of the things I love about when you watch with Crosby, you can, you can see, you know, and I know he's evolved from his younger days to his older days, but talk about what that was like being around that type of crew and the environment that was created from a leadership standpoint to be in a room like that. You know, when we talk about players and playing for each other, talk about culturally what that feels like of like the environment like that, of having those type of mindsets being collectively as a unit working together. And, and what, what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they're, I mean, they're impressive guys. I tell you, I'm, uh, you know, as hard as some people are on Sid. And uh, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of his having played with him for five years and just to, to see what he brings on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, his, his abilities speak for themselves, but you know, the, the work that, that he puts in every day, uh, at the rink away from the rink and, uh, really, I think what what made him so successful was, I mean, not only was he one of the most skilled, uh, best skaters, uh, worked the hardest, but he was he's one of the most competitive guys that I've ever been around. And, you know, it doesn't matter uh, if you're playing a video game on a plane or, or pick up tennis or or beach volleyball or whatever it is he he wants to win and and it's uh um i think that's really just what what drives him and uh what was so impressive about him was that that combination of all of those things I, i've never seen it at that level 
in in anybody else with the, with the the natural ability, the the work ethic to continue to strengthen those abilities, and then the, the competitiveness on top of it was, um, and then you know for him he was less of a, a vocal leader, but it was more of when, when you see that on a daily basis, then you can't help but be motivated and and fall into line and and want to follow that. Uh, so, um, you know him and and Malcolm very similar again the the. English, English wasn't the strongest, but he was one too. He he liked to have a good time. He was a, a great guy, funny guy. But uh, when it came time to to do the work and put in the work, he was he was right there doing it, leading the way. So, um, and then I, I'd be remiss not to mention uh, Billy Garen too. He he was one of those that, um, you know, one of the best teammates I've played with uh, as far as. Uh, He's exactly what we needed in, in that locker room, which when we eventually went on to, to win the cup in 09 was just because uh, um, it was the, the seriousness of, of Sid and his his day to day competitiveness. And and Billy had that as well. And, and he was great with that. But he also knew how to, to lighten the mood, uh, throw in a joke uh, here and there to, to loosen things. And he, he always had a great read on the room of as to exactly what what needed to be said? Was it time for a joke or was it time for a kick in the butt? So um, just those guys and, and having them all in the, in the locker room at the same time was, uh, you know, a huge part of, of the success that we yeah, had there. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I, I think one of the things that really sticks out, right, is that in today's process, you know, everybody talks about living the moment day to day. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of players struggle with is to really buy into, whether it's, you know, youth or pro player, is to really understand, and even coaches, right, is that that everyday process of focusing on today. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do today? And, like, that's the part, you know, talk about that experience of, like, from a coaching standpoint of how important is it to stress that part of it of your daily habits, of just what you do every single day matters. That, you know, it's a culmination, but mm -hmm. bringing attention to that every day. Like, that's one of the things that was said that I've heard about that before of where he's so, you know, he was so adamant every single day. He was literally getting that 1% better. Like, it just, the things he does, right? Like, even this past, you know, in September, I went over for the USHL thing and I watched the practice in the beginning of the year. And you see him taking pucks into the skates, right, for 15 minutes because he's just like, okay, mm -hmm. I got to work on that right now. But he clearly adjusted based off of what was going on. But every day there's that opportunity. So talk about that daily basis thing of, you know, as a professional, you know, that a coach can understand about what that daily routine looks like of where you're showing up every day, but you have to pay attention to this every single day. Like what is it like a player's listening, a coach's listening that isn't just go let yourself go and that's it. But it's, it's that consistent everyday showing up and saying, okay, it's time to go to work. What's that kind of process look like? If, if I'm looking at it, like what, what am I looking for in that experience? Yeah, I think that's a, a huge part in, in uh, implementing the culture that, that has to be a part of the culture. And it's, uh, um, you know, from, from our standpoint, like in Rockford, um, you know, where it's our, our top prospects are there, uh, you know, on practice days, we have, we have development sessions where development coaches will go in there for 15 or 20 minutes before practice, work on some position specific, 
uh, habits and techniques. Um, and then they'll, they'll do the ice and they'll go into practice. But I, I think it's, we've tried to make it more about, um, let's, let's watch a couple games and see, all right, what are, what are our D really struggling with? What seems to be a common, uh, a common struggle, whether it's gap control or stick positioning or, or whatever it is. And then we'll, you know, try and create some, some of those 15 or 20 minute development sessions around that. And then, um, and then the, the coaches will implement some kind of real life drills into the, into the normal practice so that they can, uh, try to implement what they worked on in those development sessions. So it's, uh, you know, it's from a coach's standpoint, it's, uh, it's tailoring practices. It's not just having your, your cookie cutter prep for, in my opinion, again, I, I haven't coached, but I don't see why you couldn't, you know, not have a, a cookie cutter practice, like have your standard warm up, then you go to this drill, that drill, like, like actually structure it around a, what you want your team to, to get good at and, and be, maybe what what's been a struggle and what you need to improve upon so and then just doing that on a daily basis i mean i remember it's a little thing but i remember when uh dan bilesma took over in pittsburgh uh the year that we won and and one of the first things he did was just it was our simple warm-up drills like two on oh down the ice but wide guy always had to enter with the puck and and he called it pop pass off the pads he's like okay i don't want you guys shooting shooting to score from there i want you to aim for that far pad and the rebounds kicked out right into the middle for uh you know a, a easy chance for the the player driving the net and you know we did that that was basically a warm-up drill for every practice every practice so that it that becomes instilled in you that okay maybe in a game when you're when you're driving wide and uh you're in an area where you're likely not going to score so don't try to score just try and throw it off that far pad into a scoring area and it's it's amazing you know after after a couple of weeks after he took over uh the amount of goals that we scored that way just guys coming down the wing and and not trying to go high over the glove but shooting shooting for a rebound shooting for that far pad and it's it's the little things like that that you know when you do it on a daily basis that the players might not even realize that they're getting better at it or getting good at it, but the, the repetition and and the, you know, the constant, um, constantly doing it, just, it becomes ingrained in them that they, they can just becomes habit and they implement it in a game and, and it works. So, I mean, that's a, a small example, but, um, yeah, that's that's my yeah, take yeah, on it. I love that. I love that. Yeah, that because that's one of the things from a mindset perspective, right? Of always trying to help guys become aware of. It's always about in the beginning of identifying. All right, well, do you know what the high percentage plays are? Do you know what your strengths are? Do you know what your habits are like in the defensive mm -hmm. zone? Do you know what your habits are like in the offensive zone? And it's interesting when you know from a coach's role, like you said, of where coach can create the environment where players don't even realize what's happening. And so what we push on the envelope is to help them realize what's happening. And it's interesting how what I found is that it's, it's a struggle for players to understand. It, it's like you're challenging them in this mental way that makes them uncomfortable because it's like, it's almost like they just want to be told maybe sometimes what to do versus when you start challenging them mentally mm -hmm. to really dig into those finer points. It's amazing how it's, it's tough for them. And, and it, and it puts them out of their comfort zone and you can tell they don't like it. But at the same time, though, 
when you discover what those things are, it's incredible how much easier it makes it, right? Like when you think about the awareness for yourself, yeah. right, of where, like now, right? Like one of the things that a lot of players talk about is that it feels like I play better now than I did when I was actually playing. And why is that? Because it's like you remember, <laughs> your body can't move the same way and do the same stuff, but like you're thinking the game way better because you're aware of just how to think it better. And you can actually start to explain mm -hmm. it and understand it. And like, you know, talk about that process of how important it is to, to drive that awareness and to build that up for yourself as a player, because it's not, it's not common. You know, it's, it's something that a battle that, you know, obviously I love fighting and that's what that's the whole mental condition mindset piece is, is to, to help players become aware of that. But talk about that part of how important it is to dive into that as a player to understand like, yeah, those little intricacies for yourself, not to overthink it. But if you can become aware of it, how much faster does it make your development process when you can start to understand, well, what are you doing exactly in the D zone? What is your team doing to create more offensive opportunities? What's the purpose? What are you doing? Like, it's in essence that why, but it's, it's on a, it's on a personal level. You know, talk more about that of how important mm -hmm. that is for players to dig into that mentally and to understand what their own process looks like because of how much faster it can speed up their game and, and their own development. Yeah, I mean that that goes back to the the self awareness that you mentioned earlier, and it's um, it's vital, really. I mean, it's to me, I think it's the most important thing that a player needs to possess in order to to reach his full potential. Because um, if you if you don't know who you are, then you know how's how's a a coach or or a, someone in player development how are how are they supposed to know who you are i mean it, it's it's so important that you know what your strengths are what your weaknesses are um and and improving your weaknesses improving your strengths and and just continuing to to grow so if you uh if you think that you're a good skater when you're not then i mean that you're you're going to be dead end very soon. So, so it's important that you uh, a are able to recognize it, but but also admit it. I mean, what do they say? Admitting yeah, it's half yeah. the battle, right? To where, um, you know, to realize that that not everybody's perfect, and that you know, I'm sure it's been mentioned a, a million times about uh, Crosby after it was after his first or second year, he he was weak in the face-off area, right? So he, uh, he didn't take it personally. He, he let it motivate him. He worked on it all summer and he came back the next season and he, he led the league in face-off percentage. So, I mean, that's, that goes back to all of those things that I mentioned about Crosby a few minutes ago, but that there's no reason that the average player, any player can't have those mental qualities to them. You know, it's, and that, that ultimately having that quality is really going to get you to, to where you want to go because it's, um, you know, if you, if you don't take control of your own progress and your own development, then you shouldn't count on anybody else to do it. So that's, you know, like I said, one of the first things I do after, you know, establishing that trust between me and a player is, is uh, talking to them about, okay, what's, what's your identity? You know, what, what, when you finish it, what are the, what are the three things that after a game that if you can check those three things off, it means you played a good game. And if, 
you know, you get some players that, that have no idea and you get some players that are like, they're dead on. They, they know themselves to a T and those are, those are ultimately the players that um, are able to get the most out of themselves. But that's not to say that the players that, that don't have a great feel can't, can't learn. Sometimes it needs to be pointed out to them, but, um, and that's something we do too. We'll, we'll ask players uh, who they compare themselves to in the NHL. And if, uh, if you have a, a 5'10 guy, good skater is, is comparing themselves to, you know, somebody in the NHL that is uh, <laughs> 6'5 and, and not the fleetest of foot, then you, you know you have a problem. Like that the, the kid has no idea that the type of player that he is and, and needs to be. So um, to me, it's everything. To, to answer, answer in a nutshell, it's, it's of the utmost important to – uh, to be able to get the most out of yourself, you can't you can't continue to fool yourself for for too long. Eventually, uh, it's going to catch yeah. up to you. Amen, man. Amen. I think that's the biggest part, right? Is that it's it's stressing that, and like you said, it's difficult, right? Because it's it's one of those things where, as a player, especially when you're growing up in the youth realm or junior realm or even college realm, right? You're going through, and I'm I keep doing this thing, and it works, and it works, and it works. And then I get to a different level and it's mm -hmm. like, wait, it's not working anymore. And that is hard for the human spirit, for the ego to go through and say, holy yeah. cow, like, wait, all these years I've been influenced unconsciously to believe this, but now you're telling me I got to believe something else? Like, no, no, I can, why can't I be on the first time? Like, I always tell the, the story of, I remember back in the day with Darren Wilson when I was playing in Charlotte and he goes, you know, we're having this conversation on the staircase. I remember distinctly him going, you know, I see you as a third line guy in the NHL. And I remember in my mind going, why can't I be on the first? <laughs> and just thinking to myself. Yeah, I know, but that's yeah. everybody, every young player. Yeah, has and it's just yeah. so, like now when I look back, I was like, man, I was so dumb. I'm like, I would have been fourth line. I don't care. <laughs> but I didn't know. You know, you don't, yeah. you don't know it at the time. And that's the battle with younger players as they're coming up. And, and that's why the adaptability, self-awareness, like, this is why we zone in on so much of that and hammer away at to educate coaches and players and understand that because it's not an easy thing just to say, hey, you got to be adaptable. You know, hey, you got to practice self-awareness. Like it's, again, right, it's the cliches, it's the quotes that are out there that, yeah, oh, yeah, that's a good quote. But do you understand what that quote means? Do you have mm -hmm. context? Do you have experience behind it? Like do you understand the the simplicity of what that is saying is complex in nature as a human being because you have emotions, you have beliefs, you, you have an upbringing influence that you've been around. And in order to change that, it's like you got to understand that if you really want to play around the best, you have to have that quality. Like it's just non-negotiable. And I, and I think those are the differences yeah. right of where that we're all battling with is that 99% of the public that's out there is you're not even going to have a chance to make it at that level. We all know that and it's fine. But it's that it's that one percent that we know in order to be there can help the ninety nine percent of understanding. Well, you can use it in anything. You, can, you, you it, it'll apply to anything you do when you find what you love and you're passionate about. But I, I, I think I think that's a part where um, it's such a struggle for people to understand is that these concepts apply to anything. But like you said, it's the, of the utmost importance. Some of these things and. Um, you know, that, that's what I'd love to hear a little bit more of what else, what else is there that you feel when you look at that, those different things? Like if I want to, I'm listening to this and I'm a coach or I'm a player and I want to be around the best of the best. What are those other common denominators, right? Mm -hmm. We know there's self-awareness, adaptability, 
But what else do you see that's a common denominator that if you're going to be a part of that, you have to have this, right? If, if you're really going to be a part mm-hmm. of it, you know, like we know, obviously, you know, with Crosby, the competitiveness in there. But talk about that part. What are the, like one or two or three things that are like, you have to have this if you're going to survive being around the best of the best? Well, I, I think number one is is a passion yeah. for the game, a true, true love for the game. And uh, it it gets tough, you know, when you get to the pro level and, uh, you know, your your job's on the line every night and, and you, you've got pressure of a, uh, you know, there's always someone younger and new coming up behind you that, that's going to be fighting you for your job and uh, you trying to support a family. I mean, it becomes real and it's hard and it's, but it's the love of the game and, and, and that passion for the game that, that keeps you moving, keeps pushing you forward to, uh, to push through any, any obstacles that get in your way. And, and that's, that's one of the things that, that, that we look for in players because 99.9% of the guys that even that are drafted are, are going to have, obstacles on their way to the nhl Uh, they're gonna uh they're gonna have setbacks they're gonna have injuries they're gonna you know be maybe sent to the east coast league they're gonna uh, be healthy scratches in the ahl whatever it may be there's there's gonna be hardships there's gonna be setbacks and and if there's if there's not a love of the game uh instilled in them if they're not truly passionate about the game then that's when that you know that thought starts to enter their mind. Is this worth it? You know, do, do I really need to go through this? Uh, you know, I, I don't deserve this. You know, you start making every excuse in the book, but if you have that true love of the game, you're like, ah, oh, you know, I'm even if you're in the coast, if you're a second round pick and you're in the coast, I mean, you're still, you're still getting paid to play hockey and you, you, you just look at this as a, as a stepping stone on, on the way, uh, to the NHL or, or back up to the AHL. But if you have that love of the game, you're able to to change your perspective and, and find the positive and, and find the, the the energy that it takes to, to push through setbacks and and, uh, and keep climbing your way up to where you want to be. So uh, to me, that's first and foremost, the, the love of the game. And, and you can you can see it pretty easily. And in, in some of the guys that if they're drafted, that they that the true passion's not there that they're kind of just doing this because it's what they're good at or they want the they want the NHL lifestyle but they don't want to put in the work necessary you know those are those guys are pretty easy to spot but then it's it's easy to spot the guys that that truly love the game that that you know want to have in-depth conversations with the development coaches and and they want that constructive feedback so it I think the passion for the game kind of goes hand in hand with a lot of the stuff we we yeah. talked about earlier with the self awareness, the constructive criticism. The uh, you know my favorite players to work with are the ones that they ask me. I, they initiate the conversation after a game. Or would you think? Well, I mean, yeah, you think I could have done more on that second goal? Like that, I love that. Like from our from our standpoint, from a coach's standpoint, player development standpoint, we we love it to be a two way street. I, I hate just talking to a guy and listening to myself talk where it's kind of talking to a wall and you know, you, it, and the player, the players get so much more out of a, a back and forth conversation than just a, a lecture. So, and that, 
I think that all goes hand in hand with, with a love yeah, for the game. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. Like that's one of the things that we talk about all the time in our culture is how love is greater than work. You know, like everyone pushes the whole, mm-hmm. you got to work hard. You got to work hard. And it's like, no, because no amount of hard work is going to fix the fact that if you don't love it and you're not passionate about it, it's not going to work. Cause in the end, the best of the best are passionate about it. They love it. And that's what you're up against is that power of love is just like you said, it's easy to see. And I think that's the part, like, you know, yeah, we use the, yeah. you can't fake action, you know, like you can't fake it. Like we talk about with scouts, mm-hmm. you know, like anybody watching you unconsciously, people can sense it, right? And it's been proven in science of like, you can feel it. You watch somebody and you just know, yeah, that person truly loves what they're doing. You appreciate it. And like you said, it's, you love having, being around that and hearing that from a player. And I think that's one of the things that mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize is when players are younger of instilling that. Like, are you creating a culture where you're making people love being at practice, love being on the bench of this team? Exactly. Like, you know, are you intentionally crafting that environment? You know, the parents, when you're in the car, it, it, the, those conversations, are you making them love what they're doing or are you getting, beating them up? Because the reality is you keep beating up the spirit and all that stuff. Like you said, you won't last long. You won't last long in this game if, yeah. if you don't love it, you know, because at the end of the day, when you love something, you want to keep figuring it out and understanding it and being around it. Cause that energy, it, it ignites you. There's something about that. Like, ah, and that's, that's a common denominator with anyone that's successful and anything they're doing. Every one of them has the best of the best all have passion. I love it. I love it. There's nothing mm-hmm. else I want to do. And, yeah. Yeah. and finding that is so important. And, and now there's the whole passion versus purpose. Yeah, you know, and I think I think they're two sides <laughs> of the same coin. You know, like I look at it, and I'm like, it's funny, right? Because it's like, yeah, yeah, purpose is important. You know, and people are trying to argue that well, it's more important. It's like, well, yeah, it is important, but if you have a purpose and you don't love what you're doing, if you're not passionate about it, and you're, there's no love behind it, it's still not gonna, mm-hmm. it's not gonna fulfill you ultimately, right? So finding that love is just as important as right. understanding the purpose behind it. So it's, uh, I love that, brother. I love that on that end of uh, how important that yeah. is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's even at the, that's even at the highest level in the NHL, you gotta, you gotta love coming to the rink every day. And uh, I think it was Gretzky said it is like, as soon as, as soon as I stop having fun playing hockey, I'm, I'm done. So, I mean, and you could, you could see the way he played the game. He just, he loved being out there. He enjoyed it. And why wouldn't you when you're as good as him? But I mean, that's, uh, it's so important. The, uh, just, because I've been on teams. I've been on teams where coaches create an environment where, you know, just, uh, here we go. got to go to the rink again. Going to get, going to get berated, this or that. And it just, uh, that, that negative energy, it, you know, it, it shows up on the ice. And it, if, if you're playing tight, afraid to make mistakes, it just, and it kind of snowballs and that's not fun to play. Then you play worse and it, it's just a, a vicious circle that never ends versus the, the positivity and, and fun and enjoyment and wanting to come to the ring, having fun when you make mistakes, laugh, you know, laughing sure, at your teammates yeah. when they toe pick or something like that. It just, just having that environment, just it, it creates an environment for, for people to continue to push themselves, expand and, and to develop and get yeah. better. And that's that highest level or, you know, yeah. squirt, doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Amen to that. 
what's um when when you look at now what's the love for you like what is it that you love about the game currently that is uh in your role now because right obviously you evolved not as a player anymore but like what is it that you love now about the the coaching piece and being that mentor what what drives your engine now Mm -hmm. you know i kind of i look at it now as uh paying it forward like i had so many great people that that helped me and influenced me uh, in my journey to, to the NHL and, and helping me realize my childhood dream. So, you know, if I'm able to uh, help any of these guys uh, by giving them my experiences and, and tools that I've learned about, even since I've retired, a lot of stuff that I wish I knew more about when I played um, to, to help these guys uh get more tools for their toolboxes and, and just having a, you know, a small little part and, and helping them uh, realize their dreams, whether it's the NHL, whether it's pro hockey in general, uh, whatever it may be, just, just helping these young men um, develop not only into better hockey players, but, but better human beings. And um, just seeing that, seeing that come to fruition. I mean, this is year six for me. So uh, a lot of guys have, have passed through player development now that are uh, now playing in the NHL or, or playing in the AHL or East Coast, where, wherever it may be. Some have uh, some had short careers that are done and, and have successful careers in business. But but whatever it is, uh, just my my hope that I was able to give them some kind of tool to to better themselves and, and help them uh, succeed in, in whatever endeavor they're doing uh, nowadays. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, brother, to uh, wrap things up, I always love to ask. So if you look back now on, um, you know, on the whole, when you were younger versus older, right? If you could go back to your younger self, is there anything that's like advice that you would look back and say, hey, you know what? It'd be cool if you knew this. Yeah. Hey, kid. <laughs> It'd be cool. Is there anything that kind of comes up that you that comes to mind for you? Uh no, I mean, you know, you know, I, where I was so lucky was just the, there wasn't a lot of access to ice in Delaware, but that, you know, going back to that, that passion we talked about, it was, you know, first thing I would always do was uh, get home from school and, and finish my homework and, and go out and play street hockey until the sun went down. And it was just, it's what I want to do. It's what I loved it. But, you know, I, I got my reps through street hockey. It doesn't have to be ice. So I mean, these, there should never be any excuses. Oh, we just don't have enough ice, this or that. You can always, if you, if you love it and you want to do it, you can always find a way to, uh, to get better. But, but when you're a kid, you don't, you don't look at it that way. As a kid, you're just looking at it as, oh, I just, I, I love being out there shooting pucks. I remember shooting pucks my, my dad would get home from work, put on the, the light brown Milik pad, no helmet <laughs> with a cigar in his mouth, and I'd, I'd shoot pucks at him. So just, uh, you know, we talked about the 10,000 hours. I definitely oh, got yeah. mine. And, you know, 7,500 of them were probably in, in street hockey on oh, rollerblades, yeah. but uh, that's that's all I could do with, with where I lived and, and my situation. So, uh, no, I, I mean, I... I wouldn't give myself any advice, especially as a young kid. I would just say, you know, it was that that's what I wanted to do as a kid. And, and for, for kids, it's about, you know, doing what they love, not, not doing what they think their parents want them to do or doing something to please their parents. And, and that's the message to the parents is, is let your kids 
do what they want to do. You know, if it, if your favorite sport's hockey, but your kid wants to play soccer, let them play soccer. Cause it's, you know, that that's, that's what it's all about. And sports, sports in general, especially hockey, uh, taught me so much and, and it made me who I am today. And, and it's, uh, uh, you know, it teaches you so many lessons about, you know, knowing how to fit in on a team, where you contribute, uh, what, everything that we talked about on this podcast, uh, you know, how you, how you get better, uh, self-awareness, whatever it may be, hockey. I owe everything I have to hockey. So obviously I'm biased right. towards it and I, and I love it, but, uh, you know, it's, it's all I ever wanted to do. And, uh, that, that's my advice to myself is, uh, keep playing, do <laughs> Play as much hockey as you can. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, on that note, brother, thank you uh, so much for taking the time, man, and uh, you know, enlightening us today. This was awesome. I know I truly enjoyed the experience. Go back a little memory lane and all that fun stuff. Thank you. Um, and yeah, buddy. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Awesome, I enjoyed man. it. All right, man. Well, we'll catch up soon, buddy. All right. Later, you buddy. bet. Yep. Thanks, Benny. Bye. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I freaking loved, loved that experience. Oh, so good. So many good nuggets. Uh, he's just so much wisdom in that man. And I'll tell you what, guys, the other side too is you, you can obviously tell by you know, listening to him and stuff like that, that he's honestly one of the most genuine and incredible human beings that I know on the planet. Um, fortunate, fortunate, very fortunate to know, to know him and to be able to call him a friend. Um, but what'd you take away? What'd you think? Anything helpful as a coach? Did you learn anything? Right? It's all about learning, sharing from the experiences, right? Hopefully you took away some type of nugget. Would love to hear what it is that you did take away. Or as a coach, maybe as a player, listen to it. Let us know your thoughts in the comments. And as always, please remember to hit the subscribe button if you'd like to stay up to date with our new episodes. And as a final reminder, don't forget to keep an eye out for the Roger Nielsen's Coaches Clinic. Again, which is set for June 5th to the 7th in Windsor, Ontario. Take a look at www.rncc.ca for registration information.